The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome, boys and girls, back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, the illustrious, the great, the powerful Oz. No, 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 it's just me, Scott. Here we go. (laughs) Where are my nipple tassels and a kill to no panties? Uh, Again. You know that sounds hot, right? Dude, I'm still waiting for the 2-2. <laughs> or the 3-3. Three, three. That too. All right. So, today, I'm going to be presenting Derek Todd Lee. So, let's yeah. just jump right into her, shall yeah, he's we? he's a sick fucker. That's what I heard, man. That's what I heard. So, we're going to start off with a little thing called the Interrupted Softball Game. Yeah. Zachary, Louisiana. That's not a name. That's his name of town. Okay. Yeah. Zachary Louisiana. <laughs> I I'm heard like, you pause. I'm like, what is he doing? I'm looking at going, is somebody named their kid Louisiana? Okay, no, that's fine. Zachary Louisiana. Police detective David McDavid. Jesus Christ, his parents must have hated him. Jesus. I know. I said that, too. Yeah. David McLovin McDavid. <laughs> Something like that. God damn. That's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> was a new Iberia. Was in New Iberia on April. 19th of 1998, when a softball tournament was interrupted. That was when he received a call about a missing woman named Randy Mabrur. Is that yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. I, I had a difficulty Ma- pronouncing Mabrur? it too. I think it's Mabrur. M-E-B-R-U-E-R. Mabrur. Yeah, maybe it was Mabrur. The call also stated that there was an extreme possibility she was also murdered. To say that the police force in Zachary was small is an understatement. In fact, McDavid, David McDavid, get some creativity. Like, seriously, man, when you name your kids. There's another name in here, too, that you're going to laugh at, too, but yeah. Criminy. Anywho, McLovin here was (laughs) was only one of three detectives in the entire department. As soon as he received the call... He jumped into his car and managed to make the 100-mile trip to the crime scene in about an hour. That means that son of a bitch had to be doing 100 miles an hour yeah. on average. On average. Yeah, that I remember saying that. I was like, damn, this guy's good. Man, dude flies. I, I can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. The evidence team found... Uh, I'm sorry. I got... I jumped ahead. Sorry. After arriving at the scene, McDavid discovered that Randy had been abducted from her uh, residence. She was at home with Michael, her three-year-old son, when the attack occurred. Thankfully, he slept through the entire incident and remained unharmed by the perpetrator. That's the three-year-old son, Michael. Yes, he thankfully. The evidence team found at the crime uh, ah, the evidence team found at the crime scene told detectives a story. The attack on Randy began in the bedroom. Hey, that's where a lot of my attacks begin. I knew that was coming. Stabbing the cat. (laughs) The attacker dragged her through the hallway, ending up in the kitchen, which was evident from the blood streaks on the floor, and the kid didn't wake up? Jeez, I wish I slept like that. Your kid sleeps like that. Oh, I know he does. Fucking house could burn down. A team of wild horses can come through. Oh, yeah. He'd be like, I didn't hear nothing. Didn't hear jet. In the middle of the hall, officers recovered both Randy's contact lenses. They were just laying there on the carpet, inches apart from each other. According to Sergeant Ray Day, really? 
Yeah, told you. Seriously? This is what we name our kids down there, huh? Okay, this is fantastic. Ray Day, who was at uh, at the who at the time was just a, a patrol officer on the scene to assist with processing the crime scene, she was hit hard enough face down to knock her contact lenses out. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Talk about taking a punch. She could have been a prize fighter. I know, right? From the kitchen, it appears as if it were, if the suspect picked Randy up and carried her out to the carport. The authorities determined that by the drops of the blood that uh, left the trail from one location to another. After that, every, every trace of what happened to the 28-year-old woman completely vanished. Like, she ended up here and then, poof, she was gone, right? Yeah. Well, good old David McDavid, can't get over that shit, did find a couple of other things that he thought were interesting, but didn't know if they were significant yet. One, there was a fresh bouquet of flowers thrown into the trash can that was lined with a pink garbage bag in the kitchen. Number two, there was a roll of pink garbage bags in the carport. On the outside of the roll of the bags, there was a single drop of blood and a trace amount of seminal fluid. That's semen or jizz, folks. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that one out. Some people don't. What's seminal? Yeah. We don't. We have some good listeners, but some of our listeners are not bright. That's some. True. Not all. That is true. Most of them are smart cookies, but most, most of them are. Some of them we, we get the occasional. Oh, that's a big word. It has more than one consonant. Yep. More than, it has more than one, uh, yeah, that's, whatever. Anyway, McDa- McDavid also made one other glaring observation. Randy's residence was in Oak Shadows, a subdivision of Zachary. It was too much of a coincidence to him that she lived within spitting distance from the place where a woman named Connie Warner had once lived. What? I know, I told you it was a southern... Told you, man, I can give southern directions fine. Spitting distances is one of them. Over yonder, up yonder, down yonder. Stones throw. We Stones talked about that one. Stones throw. Or, uh, well, there's several other, but I have to have a whole show just on teaching how people how to speak proper English. You do. Six years before that, in 92, 41-year-old Connie Warner just up and disappeared from her house one day. She wasn't seen again until 11 days later when a truck driver found her body in a ditch close to the state capitol building. After McDavid, McLovin David, was finished processing the crime scene, he was pretty confident that Randy's disappearance was somehow linked to Connie's murder. That meant that he was also confident about one other little piece of information. He turned to one of his fellow officers and boldly stated, Y'all, come here. Hold my bear and watch this. No, no, that's not what he said. No, no, he's not Jethro. You know what's going to be Derek Todd Lee, right? Y'all know that? <laughs> Notice he didn't ask. He told. That's right, he did. Yeah, he, said, he straight up told. This is going to be the old boy doing right here. That's right. Now we got to go, go get him on home. Uh-huh. I guarantee. I guarantee. Ha, 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 ha. At the time, 
Connie Warner was killed. Derek Lee Todd was only 23 years old. Approximately three months after Connie's body was discovered, Lee was arrested in the vicinity of Oak Shadows. When a man arriving home, uh, when a man ar- arrived home and caught Lee inside of his residence, the man's two young daughters lived at home at the time. But thankfully, neither one of them had been there the night of the break-in. Then. Nearly two months after the incident, Lee was arrested by the Zachary Police Department again. Yeah. That time, it was because he broke into a house of a 74-year-old man and beat him before taking off with all the cash he had on his person. What a dick. I know, right? However, that's not the extent of Lee's violence. In April of 93, on a rainy night, it was a dark and stormy night. Officer Troy Eubanks, see, that's a decent name. It is a decent name. His name yeah. isn't like Troy Troy or anything. Right? <laughs> Troy McTroy. Troy McTroy. <laughs> or what was the, what's a good Great name? A. I can't think of a rhyming one with <laughs> Troy right now. My brain's Roy not. Troy. <laughs> Roy Troy. Anyway, Troy Eubanks was patrolling the Oak Shadow subdivision when he noticed that there was a car parked in the cemetery close by. At first, he thought that there was a couple of teenagers inside just making out, so he pulled up behind them. As Officer Eubanks walked up beside the car, he shined his flashlight in the window on the couple. That, that's when he made a horrific discovery. Yes, the occupants were a couple of teenagers. However, they weren't making out. Both of them were covered in blood, but thankfully, they were still very much alive. Yeah. According to Eubanks' report, on the ground next to the vehicle, he found a three-foot-long cane knife. Which is a machete, by the way. Oh, okay. I was a yeah. cane knife? What the hell is that? I got to take a quick drink. Okay. I'll let you. You know, because that's what Mighty I do. white of you? It's what I do. The, the victim stated that when the attacker saw the officer's car, he dropped the knife and fled the scene. Uh, which actually spared their lives, saved their lives. Mm-hmm. After the female victim was treated at the hospital, she sat down with a sketch artist uh, to work on a composite of the perpetrator. The end result was a sketch of a man that bore an uncanny resemblance to Derek Todd Lee. In mm-hmm. fact, a few years later, she positively identified him as the attacker in a photo lineup. Like That's the motherfucker right there. Right. Lee was convicted on a burglary charge and was ordered to serve one year in prison. However, he wasn't out for very long before he started getting into trouble again. In September of 95, a couple of officers from Lake Charles, Louisiana, by the way, we're still in Louisiana, arrested him for peeping into windows. The court sentenced him to two years of unsupervised probation and fined him 200 bucks. Look, man, you can get online and look at Cooter. You don't have to, like, peek into anybody's window because right. one isn't. In July of 97, prior to the attack and abduction of Randy, the Zachary police dispatchers began getting a lot of calls about a peeper from women living in and around Oak Shadows. At one of the houses, the authorities found footprints in the mud just outside of one of the bedroom windows of the woman's house. As a matter of fact, McLovin, I mean McDavid, was called in at the time to help uh, on the peeper case. 
they're really calling it the peeper case. That's what they called it. The reaper peeper. The that's, reaper peeper. That's fantastic. He was running surveillance in the neighborhood one night when he witnessed Lee darting across the highway in front of the subdivision. McDavid and a couple of the other officers ran after him, but when he cut across the cemetery, he was able to lose him. I shook the fuzz, man. <laughs> Boogie <laughs> on. <laughs> Boogie on, man. Boogie on before the fuzz gets hit. <laughs> For those of you that don't know the reference to that, my dad, when he first started driving, uh, he was taking a left-hand turn. This is way back in the 70s, and he hit a, uh, a, a van. You know, yeah. one of the old 70s vans, you know, like disco lights and shit like that. <laughs> my dad... My, with my, the painted... <laughs> yeah, with like a mural on the side. Yeah. <laughs> and a black feller got out. Big old afro from 70s, right? <laughs> and my dad thought, I'm in trouble. I'm going to get fired. And he looked at my dad and went, man, boogie on, man. Boogie on before the fuzz gets hit. And he took the hell off. <laughs> took the hell off. <laughs> and my dad said, okay, man, I'm going to boogie on. Yeah, Totally. It was Boogie On or Boogie Down. I can't remember. Yeah. It's been years since I heard this story. My dad's been dead forever. But, yeah. Okay, so. I was going to say, did you lose your spot? I did. I <laughs> wasn't right, really following along, so yeah. There happened to be a bar on the side of the cemetery where Lee gave the officers the slip. Slipped him the bar. Mm-hmm. When McDavid looked through the cars, uh, the cars parked in the lot, he noticed that Lee's truck was among them. He ordered the officers to back off and keep an eye on the lot from a distance. Yep. Well, y'all, it wasn't long after that before they spotted Lee again. He was seen poking his head out from around the side of the shed near the bar. Like, <laughs> you all out there? Who the fuck? Can, can you there? see me? <laughs> it's too dark. Smile. <laughs> With He's the, not a very dark man, so. I, I was just giving him shit mm. anyway. That, he could be black, white, green. I don't give a shit. <clears throat> when the officers saw him, they tried to arrest him, but he was able to flee into the woods. Yeah. A team of officers uh, had borrowed a couple of tracking dogs from the Department of Corrections. Old Red. That's right. Because <laughs> Old Red, he's the damnedest dog I ever seen. That's right. He got some loving, though, Old Red did. He did, man. <laughs> love got me in here and love got me out. <laughs> With the help of the dogs, they managed... By the way, guys, that's a... Uh, Blake Shelton. A Blake Shelton song, mm-hmm. just so y'all know. With the help of the dogs, they managed to find Lee hiding in the woods. He was arrested and charged with a handful of peeping and trespassing charges. Unfortunately, they couldn't slap him with anything more than a misdemeanor. Therefore, he only received two years of city court probation and a $400 fine. Yeah. Now, as it was, Lee wasn't going to let, let something minor get in his way a little over a year after randy's abduction officers in west Fali- what the feliciana fuck? thank you feliciana parish arrested lee for peeping and stalking he was again given two years of probation and this time he was fined only 300 bucks so he, he got his punch card out and they said hey you get a discount this time. <laughs> that's right that's right after so many well by then Randy's case had gone cold. Yeah. Colder than her body. Ew. Actually, you'll find out something else. Keep going. Ooh, kinky. Yeah. That was also around the time that Zachary, the Zachary Police Department reached out to the Louisiana Attorney General's office to ask them for help with Randy's case. 
The Attorney General volunteered a couple of investigators, which included 60-year-old veteran detective Danny Mixon. Now, that is a detective's name right. well, if and- I've ever seen it. Because like, he could have yeah. some good comebacks. Like, hey, you're mixing with... Di- you're mixing with mixing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the sad part is, is upon further research, when I was looking for photos and stuff, I found out he died shortly after this case from complications due to leukemia. Oh, it wasn't like yeah. mixing complications? No, or no. So, I mean, it's really sad, but you'll find out more about him in a minute. So we got old, good old Danny Mixon on the case. I got faith in that. The, report, the reports I found describe Megson as a dinosaur, a throwback from the time when the greatest resources an officer had was his gut, was what his gut was telling him. In his 40-plus years as a cop, he had solved quite a few high-profile cases already, so you might want to be mixing with Mixon. That's right, or you don't want to be mixing with Mixon, one of the two. <laughs> Depending on what side of the law you're on. If you're on the good side, That's you right. want good old Danny Mixon. He's mixing shit up. Yeah, that's and that's a good Southern name right there. That is, man. I got mm-hmm. faith in him already. Just seeing his name. I know this old boy going to solve a lot of shit. That's right. While investigators from the Attorney General's office were working on Randy's case in April 2000, Lee was ordered by the West Feliciana uh, Parish judge to serve nine months in prison. He was convicted of physically assaulting his girlfriend at the time in a local bar. Hey, she wasn't listening. Sometimes you got to smack him around. <laughs> yeah, but wait, see what else he did. Then, when a deputy arrived to arrest him, he tried to run over the cop with his car. What with a his car, dumbass. Yeah. Now, now, looky, looky here, Mister Derek Lee Todd Todd Lee, you a dumbass son for trying to run mm-hmm. over that cop because yeah. you in Louisiana. And they shoot you. They feed you to the gate. Yeah. Like the Blackwater just suck you right on down. They never find your body, Hoss. Well, and Kitty talks about how her dad was driving. I think it was through Louisiana. And um, he was in the left-hand lane, you know, because out here we do it all the time. And he was in the left-hand lane just cruising. Nobody was in the right-hand lane. He got pulled over, and he goes, look here, boy. We don't do that in these parts. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, no, he did it. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. You can't just be cruising that left-hand lane. Right. Cop pull you over. We don't do boy. that. We don't do it, but yeah. We don't do that in these parts. <laughs> you learn to drive. You get the hell out of Louisiana. Yeah, but, you know, he needed his coffee from Martha, so. <laughs> <laughs> Martha. Well, there you go. He was too worried about his damn coffee. That's he didn't right. worry about driving right. <laughs> he needs to get right with the law, and he needs to get right with Jesus. That's right. Lee was, Lee was released from the Louisiana prison on January of 2001, in January. Yeah. By September of that same year in Baton Rouge, some 15 miles away, women started turning up dead. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't really say it in a lot of the articles I read, but he was raping them, too. Well, that's kind of a gift. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially since you saw the seminal fluid. But it it doesn't really get into that. I didn't find that out until the end. The peeping toms. Oh, yeah, that too. too. Yeah. Yeah. The first victim was 41-year-old Gina Wilson Green. That's a good name. That's Mm -hmm. a strong name right there, Miss Gina. That's a strong name. She's right. (laughs) She lived just off the campus of Louisiana State University on Stanford Avenue. She worked in, a local med- in the local medical field as a nurse with a specialty in infusion therapy. What is infusion it therapy? It tells you in the next paragraph. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you had some insight. I, I no. was going to have to like, phone a friend or something. No, I told you. 
In cases, in case you're wondering, which I am, infusion therapy is the uh, is the alternate way of receiving medication from the standard oral method. Oh, okay, IVs and shit. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, catheter, yeah. Ooh, but yeah, keep going. Ooh, it tells yeah. a little more. Generally, with infusion therapy, drugs are administered via catheter or needle directly into the individual's uh, vein. However, they can also be administered sub- subcutaneously. Under the skin, or intramuscularly into the muscle, or via an epidural. Thank you, epidural into the spinal cord. Yeah, brutal. Yeah, yeah, that one would be brutal. She had a fucking hard ass job. Jeez. Yeah, Miss Gina, I know you're not with us anymore, but damn, God bless you, honey. Yeah, that's a tough job because you're nobody's favorite person if you're given a spinal tap. No shit, yo. It doesn't matter how damn nice you are. All of a yeah. sudden, you're the worst person on the planet. Yeah. There are two things that Gina absolutely loved in this world. Her BMW convertible, which I don't like her. I'm sorry. People who drive BMWs are just generally assholes. Mirza drives a BMW. She's not an asshole. No, she gets a pass. But I told her <laughs> by buying one that she gets her asshole card. <laughs> Maybe she needs one down there in SoCal. And her little nieces. Not the big ones. She's never had a big conversation with them. <laughs> Fuck off. If she wasn't driving one, whoa, whoa, what? Well, I'm sorry. She's driving her nieces. This is great. No. If she wasn't driving one of her nieces, no, if she wasn't driving one, she was doting on the others. Yeah. That still doesn't sound right. I'm just I like, know. No. <laughs> like, you need Jesus now. <laughs> I do. Sadly, on September 24th, 2001, the police went to her house after receiving a call. They went, uh, when they arrived on the scene, they found her lying dead inside of her home. She had been strangled to death. Yeah. Then, less than four months later, 21-year-old Geraldine DeSoto was supposed to be at a job interview on January 14th of 2002 at about, you know, 2.30 in the afternoon. According to reports, she never arrived at that appointment. In relation to Gina's residence in downtown Baton Rouge, Geraldine's... That's Geraldine, yeah. Geraldine. Geraldine was just across the Mississippi River. See, I actually sounded it all out. Didn't just say Mississippi. You did. I'm actually kind of impressed. In fact, she lived off the lived off of Louisiana Highway 1 in a mobile manufactured home. That's across that bridge that you and I were talking about. Right, right. That long some that, Yeah, Louisiana Highway 1 bridge. Oh, yeah. No, I've been on that one many, 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 Gateway many Gateway to the times. Gulf. 18 uh, miles. It's a long one. <laughs> but it's really cool to drive over because, like I said, you're looking at all the bayous and swamps and shit like that. It's pretty cool. I bet it is because yeah. I like driving across that bridge in Astoria, the oh, floating yeah, bridge. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Too. At the time, she was already enrolled and waiting to start taking to take classes in occupational therapy. The evidence found by the authorities regarding the attack on Geraldine indicated that she was a, it was especially brutal. According to the police reports, an intruder broke into her house right before noon on January 14th. After gaining entry, he bashed her head with a telephone before he took a knife and stabbed her three times. Now, y'all, you got to keep in mind, this is back in the early 2000s. They still had the big heavy telephones. This isn't like a cell phone or something. Yeah, no. Yeah, because this is before. I mean, and even if it was a cell phone, it was the Motorola flip phones, you know, those analog ones. Oh, no, like the big brick ones probably, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but no, I'm assuming it was a home phone. You would think, man, because yeah. my cell phone ain't doing much of shit. Yeah. 
The evidence found by the authorities regarding Geraldine's attacking. You read that oh, part. I read that part. However, Ger- uh, Lynn was a tough cookie, and she wasn't gonna. Uh, she wasn't going to just allow herself to be overpowered by an intruder. Why? Because she's a good Southern girl. That's why. That's right. There's two things a Southern girl knows. Her brother and what else? How to how to fire a gun. Yeah, that's that's very true. <laughs> I wasn't going to say her brother, but go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say they they know how to change a tire and fire a gun. <laughs> but okay. Well, check this out, y'all. She was able to fight him off long enough to get to her bedroom and grab a shotgun. Unfortunately, when she turned around to fire the shotgun at her attacker, at her attacker. He was able to wrestle it out of her hands. Once the intruder uh, once again had the upper hand, he grabbed Geraldine and slit her throat from ear to ear. Then, before he left her laying in a pool of her own blood, he stomped her head, her dead body a couple of times with a tremendous amount of force. Yeah. What an ass! I know. Yeah, because she fought back. I don't see nothing good about this some bitch. So me neither. Far. Me neither. Like seriously, they need to take him out to the to the swamps and tie him to a stump. Yeah, and, and put some bacon around his neck because yep. gators leak bacon. You let you let the, the 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 gators and the bugs and everything else take care of that rotten asshole. Yeah. On May thirty first, approximately five months after the attack on Geraldine, the police discovered the body of another. Murder. I put victims, but it's victim. There. Thank you. Of another murder victim. This time, 21-year-old Charlotte Murray Pace, that's a good strong name, was found dead in her house located in South Baton Rouge. An autopsy report determined that her attack was even more brutal than the one on Gerald Lynn. Yeah. The medical examiner determined that Charlotte had been brutally beaten with a clothes iron. That's what you use to iron your clothes, y'all. And stabbed 80-plus times before her killer slit her throat from ear to ear. In fact, the evidence found at the crime scene caused a veteran crime scene investigator's stomach to turn. It was that brutal. He later testified, quote, It made me sick. The body had been so violated. Yeah. And if a cop is saying that, who has been on the force for a long time, right, his that's saying a lot. This shit, yeah. yeah. You know, because they've seen a lot of horrible crap. Then... Uh, less than two months after Charlotte was murdered, 44-year-old Pam Kinnamore went missing from her house in Baton Rouge. During the early part of July, the remains were found floating in the Whiskey River. Four Whiskey days. Bay. Whiskey Bay. I'm sorry, in Whiskey Bay. thought that was... Okay, I just can't read. Four days after her disappearance, Whiskey Bay was approximately 30 miles from where Pam lived. Between Baton Rouge and Lafayette on the interstate... 10. I know that interstate. I do, too. I've been I've been to Baton Rouge. I've been to Lafayette a lot. Yeah. Her killer had also sliced her throat from ear to ear. Mm-hmm. A short time after Pam's body was discovered towards the end of July of 2002, investigators with the Baton Rouge Police Department called a meeting with other investigators from surrounding law enforcement divisions. They wanted to get everyone into the same room and figure out how many cases each department had that might be linked to the unknown sus- uh, subject they were referring to as, quote, the Baton Rouge serial killer. David McLovin, I mean, David McDavid, <laughs> can't get over that name, Jesus I know, Christ, right? <laughs> was now a detective lieutenant with, a, with the Zachary Police Department, and he went, uh, and he went 
to that meeting. That's what he did. Yeah, that's what he did. Yeah, I was going to say, it says that plain as day. It does. I, just, <laughs> I had a little itch on my leg. Oh. <laughs> a third special leg. He was going to take the, the opportunity to present the three cold cases he had in his department to the team, despite the fact that he had a, uh, that they had occurred before this new series of Baton, in Baton Rouge, which was, you know, that we have the Connie uh, Warner, Randy Mabrewer. 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 And uh, the case of the teenage couple that was attacked in the cemetery that both lived. Yeah. While McDavid was going over the three cases with the uh, other law enforcement officials, he told them that uh, that he was that he as well as Danny McMixon, yeah. <laughs> McMixon, sorry, Danny Mixon, fuck, the Attorney General investigator were already looking at a prime suspect. In fact, they gave them all of the information on the habitual pervert in Oak Shadows by the name of Derek Todd Lee. Yeah. This is your dude right here, right? Yeah. There were two law enforcement agencies in charge of the Baton Rouge murders at the time. It was the East Baton Rouge Sheriff's Office and the Baton Rouge Police Department. When they found out that McDavid's suspect was a black male, they told him to go back home. Yeah. Like, yeah, it can't be a black guy. Yeah. Serial killers are all white. Yeah. Remember, when it's white, you know it's all right. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> the unknown suspect uh, committing the murders in the area was a white male. After all, that's what the profile information they received from the FBI at the time said. Yeah. Since Derek Lee Todd was obviously a black male, he wasn't their suspect. End of story. Yep. After that meeting, the, the big agencies put together a task force in an effort to track down the Baton Rouge serial killer. The task force made up the decision not made the decision not to invite McDavid and the Zachary Police Department to join the team. Right. David later said, "It bothered us when they weren't included." Well, yeah, it bugged me too. But like, these guys don't even know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and exactly, it's like you know, at least give some credence to it. Oh, yeah, man. Hang tight. I gotta get another drink. Okay. You know. There you go. Drinking again. On the job. It's almost booth sturdy. <laughs> this new task, uh, uh, task force stated that their investigation, uh, started their investigation off by collecting DNA samples from several hundred white males in the area. That's profiling, man. Right? Jeez, leave, leave my brothers alone. <laughs> It's white, so it's all right. Eventually, the number of samples they collected from white males in the area was in the thousands. Yeah. Yet, that didn't stop the serial killer from taking the life of another victim. This time, the killer's victim wasn't in Baton Rouge. And she fit a different victim profile from the other murders that had occurred thus far. Yeah. On November 21st of 2002, Trinisha. Thank you. I can't even pronounce Trinisha that. Trinisha Dene Colomb. That is a black girl before yeah. I even read it on. I yeah. know that is black as black can be. Yeah. Ain't no white girl in the world named Trinisha. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. I get rolled tea. You go rolled tea. Oh, there we go. A young African-American woman in St. La uh, Landry Parish visiting the grave of her mother when she vanished. 
After she was reported missing, the authorities found her vehicle close to the cemetery. However, there was no trace of what could have happened to Trenisha. Well, there wasn't any trace until three days later. <laughs> yeah. That's when the hunter, dis- uh, hunter discovered her body. He was in the woods approximately 20 miles from where her car was located near the cemetery. During her autopsy, the medical examiner was able to determine that Trenisha's cause of death was blunt force trauma from a beating. So she took a beating. Yeah. See, no joke. No. Surprise, okay. You know. However, the medical examiner was also able to find traces of DNA left by the killer. When those samples were ran through the system, the authorities were able to positively link Trenisha's murder to the murder of Gina Wilson-Green, Charlotte Murray Pace, and Pam uh, Kinnamore. Right. When the word spread that there was a serial killer in Bath... Which I want to point out here is really kind of odd because if you look at the pictures of all the other victims they were small they were rather petite white women with long dark hair and brown eyes they just changed up his victimology yeah Yeah. so when word spread that there was a serial killer in baton rouge louisiana stores saw an increase in sales of pepper spray firearms and security systems well the women in the area were lining up in droves to take self-defense classes yeah Pa-yow. <laughs> Patrol officers saturated the neighborhood of South Baton Rouge. Detectives were back at their stations, meticulously combing through all of the records of known sex offenders to see if there was any potential suspects in that area. Yeah, in that arena. Is that arena? Okay, in that yeah. arena. Fine. When they weren't doing that, they were out re-interviewing their witnesses. There was also an increase in the watches uh, over the neighborhoods. Okay, that is right. They yeah. watch. That surrounded the Louisiana State University campus. Oh, let's not forget, they kept swabbing the cheeks of males in the area for DNA. Well, white guys. Yeah, that is. the white males, that white is. White dudes. Yeah. The task force hunting the Baton Rouge serial killer set up a dedicated tip line. After they released details of Trenisha's murder to the media, the tips started to pour into the department. One of those tips sounding as if it could be promising. But for whom? Dun, 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 dun. I know, right? The caller stated that the day in, on the day in question, they had seen a pickup truck traveling down Interstate 10 between Baton Rouge and Lafayette. According to the caller, the truck was being driven by a white male. Liar. <laughs> Yeah. Well, lying song, bitch. <laughs> right. They said that they had seen, quote, a woman in the passenger seat that looked like she was dead. Yeah. The caller also stated that they saw a Jesus fish on the tailgate. That's the little, you know, ioxy fish for, yeah. you know, Jesus. From that point, the task force zeroed in on white males who own pickup trucks. I'm am so fucked. You are very fucked. My truck kind of stands out a little bit. Kind of little. Because, you know, it's big and giant and it's party. And yeah. Must He's be got big. a short man's truck. <laughs> Just because you've got to jump in a truck there doesn't mean it's Dude, a Dude, I, I don't need to jump in. I need a fucking elevator to get in that thing. 
And it doesn't even have that big of a lift on it. No, but it's a little bit higher than I'm used to. Right, well, okay, I'll, I'll give it that. But I like the height of it. Like when, but at least it's got running boards. I've seen a lot of them that are jacked way up that have no running boards. That's people with small peckers, man. It's like, how the fuck do they get in that motherfucker? Because, like, when I went and picked up Jake in Las Vegas and, and was driving back, we took a few side trails because I wanted to test the 4x4. That sucker will clear anything. Oh, I believe it. That's and it is. Yeah, and your son gets all, like, iffy with me every time I just go over the, I mean, a tiny-ass curtain, you know, where it dents down on the driveway? Oh, shit, yeah. If I, I hit time. that and he, like, he goes, he goes, you better be careful. This is dad's trick. I said, that's a speed bump in this thing. Yeah. My- I mean, I might bottom out in my old car, but not in this. My truck has no fucks to give when it comes to climbing anything or going over rocks or yeah. anything. It I mean, no fucks to give. that little fucking, that little dip in the driveway is not going to hurt that car, that truck. Not at all. <laughs> so while the authorities were doing all of this stuff in Baton Rouge, back in Zachary, David, David McLovin McDavid, <laughs> Danny the Mixer Man Mixon, and a newly promoted Ray Day continued to investigate the connection with their cases to Derek Todd Lee because they're smart. Yeah, because they, 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 I mean, it was their gut told them that it was him. Well, yeah, man, because uh, I've said it before, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, guess what? It's probably a fucking duck. Yeah, probably. It's not a moose. That's right, you know. The interesting thing is... Even though Mixon was an investigator with the Attorney General's office, he wasn't invited to join the task force either. Yeah. In fact, he had to stay informed on the serial killer cases the same way that McDavid and Day did, through the media reports. Yeah, he wasn't given any information. Jesus Christ, Baton Rouge. Yeah. Why were you guys being assholes? And he was from the Attorney General's office. Sorry, Baton Rouge, you guys are assholes. Yeah. At least for this report. They're, Maybe you guys have they changed. They are very um, territorial, to say the least. I'd just go pee Elitist. on their legs. I know you would. And then tell them, hey, now I own you. I peed on it. <laughs> That's right. It wasn't a secret that there was a special task force assigned to the serial killing cases. Even with the highly publicized investigation, the serial killer wasn't deterred. In fact, it was almost as if he saw the task force... Uh, and the investigation as a challenge. Like, hold my beer, motherfucker. That's right. That's right. On March, March 3rd of 2003, 26-year-old Carrie Lynn Yoder. Now, she is related to Yoda, and I know it. <laughs> you and I had this conversation. That's this Yoda's southern cousin right there. Yeah. Yoda it's a Yoder, not a Yoda. <laughs> Yoda, she is not. <laughs> She's a Jedi. True. A graduate from LSU, that's Louisiana State University, by the way. Yeah. Was last seen in front of her house, which was located south of the university campuses, when she was reported missing. According to reports, she had been seen taking groceries out of her vehicle when she was a, when the abduction occurred. So, god damn, that's fucked up. Yeah. A crawfish farmer discovered her body 10 days later floating down Whiskey Bay. In fact, Carrie's remains were found only about 1.5 miles from the location where Pam's body was discovered. During her autopsy, the medical examiner determined that Carrie's attacker had beaten her severely before strangling her to death. His report indicated that during the beating, she had suffered from uh, fractured ribs and ligature. A lacerated. A lacerated liver. Fucking A. 
I That's hope, a C, not a G. I am just so hoping that my glasses arrive today or tomorrow. Dude. Like, for real. Me too. <laughs> like, I was joking about it earlier, but for fuck's sakes, I can barely even see my phone. I know, right? Fuck. Getting old sucks. So, make sure you donate some money to our freaking Patreon page. That's right. Going blind. Because getting old sucks. Getting old sucks. Gotta quit masturbating. You should, because, you know, your parents said that would make you go blind. And it's true. (laughs) (laughs) He also determined that she, too, had been sexually assaulted prior to being murdered. The medical examiner found trace DNA on Carrie's remains, which linked her murders to the other women who had been killed by the unknown serial killer on the loose in the area. And jeepers, creepers, the peepers back with his peepers. (laughs) Right. Less than a month after Carrie was murdered on April in April of 2003, dispatch at the Zachary Police Department started getting more calls from Oak Shadows. These calls were coming from women who had claimed... From a woman. Oh, from a woman claiming that she was stalked by someone while she was out jogging in the mornings. Well, see, that's the problem. Okay, let, let me point something out. She shouldn't be jogging? There's a couple of things. Number one, joggers are the ones who normally get attacked or they find the body. That's true. That is true. I have never walked into my my living room with a beer and said, oh, holy shit. There's, there's a, a dead body. There's a dead body. Yeah, hikers too. Hikers too. And hikers, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I stay out of the woods, man. I don't want to find that shit. Right. Because automatically they're going to be like, sir, you probably killed her. <laughs> um, this body's been here for four days, sir. So what? He's the suspect. Right. Officers were sent out to investigate. Well, of course, that's a given. As they looked around the area uh, where she said this alleged stalker had been, they found a set of boot prints under a a window. Apparently, the peeper was back in the area. Of course. Yep. And we all know who the peeper turned out to be in the past, by the way. That's right. No question. Good old Derek Todd Lee. But remember, he can't be a killer because he ain't white. That's right. He's just peeping. Freaking attacking my brothers. White <laughs> lives matter. Sorry for the dead air. I was going to say, what are you doing? You didn't tell me anything. I'm still, I'm still drinking a oh. lot of fluids because I'm still kind of a little yeah. bit dehydrated. I mean, I'm not 100% yet. Yeah. I'm like 80%, but. Well, you know. So, McLovin pulled out his penis. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> He, pe- he pulled out all of the cases. No, that was Danny Mixon. Was that Mixon? Oh, I skipped a whole paragraph, you didn't did. I? You did. Actually, you s- skipped everything because, you know, yeah. It's very clear that Mixon did it. <laughs> this was around the time that Danny Mixon with Mixon decided to do an investigative dig into Derek Todd Lee's criminal record. By doing so, he was able to develop a timeline for Lee, which showed the exact dates when Lee was in police custody. Once Mixon was able to determine precisely when Lee had been incarcerated, he took it a step further. He pulled out all the cases. The the files they had in Zachary, as well as the information regarding the murders that had been happening in Baton Rouge in September of 2001. He took the dates when each crime occurred and compared it to the timeline of T, uh, of Lee's incarceration. Mm-hmm. By doing this, Mixon was able to prove that Lee was free a free man during each and every attack. Each one, yes. Yeah, each. Yeah, well, this makes sense, man. Which is what they should have done in the first place. The second that McLovin no shit, yo said, "Hey, I think this at is least looked into it." Yeah. 
Zachary Police Department number Zachary Police Department's number one suspect could not be eliminated as a suspect in any of the attacks or murders. Mixon later stated, quote, when I worked this all up, I thought Derek Todd Lee was the most viable suspect on the streets. Moho, I guarantee. That's right. Mixon was so convinced that they were on the right track with Lee as their suspect that he knew he had to get a sample of the man's DNA. Therefore, he knocked the shit out of him. <laughs> right? got a blood sample. No, he didn't do that. No. <laughs> but I, 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 would, I would allow that. Yeah. Therefore, Mixon sat down and wrote up a six-page application requesting the subpoena to collect the sample. He then submitted the application to the East, Fel- East Feliciana. Thank you. Parish judge. When the judge went over the application that Mixon draw, had drawn up, he chose to issue the investigator a subpoena duces tectum. It's it's called a subpoena duce tecum, which, in other words, yeah, it's a court order. You ever wonder why I have a team of attorneys that work for me? Yeah, it's a very Latin term. Yeah, I don't read this shit. Yeah, I don't. Latin is used a lot in medical and law. Yeah, that's why I let my attorneys go thumbs up, thumbs mm-hmm. down. Like good deal, not so good deal. That's right. In other words, Master Mixon now had a court order that allowed him to obtain DNA samples by swabbing the cheek of Derek Todd Lee. After Danny Mixon was able to get the judge to issue the court order on May 5th of 2003, he as well as the, the all the as well as the detectives from Zachary, set up a team to watch over the two locations where they figured they would find Lee. The first location was in Jackson, Louisiana, at the at his girlfriend's apartment. The second was in St. Francisville at the house he and his wife shared. Hey, wife and a girlfriend, go I know, for it. I told you. I, I can't fault him there. Yeah. Just saying. It's not for everybody, but hey, that might be their situation. Yeah. Their efforts paid off because they found him at the house in St. Francisville. Once they spotted him, the investigator slowly approached him because you got to kind of do that with wild animals. <laughs> and he seemed to be rather calm. Mixon told him the reason for the visit, and Lee demanded to be shown the subpoena. The officers handed it over, and they didn't know if he was uh, if he had actually read it or even if he understood how significant it was. However, according to the detective Day. He, quote, he held it like he was reading it. Yeah. So we think he read it, but we're not sure. <laughs> yeah. But he had a Bud Light in his hand, <laughs> and he was looking over at our PBRs, and like, <laughs> we could trade, but I prefer my PBR over your Bud Light. NASCAR! <laughs> Dumbass. After going over the document for a moment or two, Lee looked up at the Zachary detectives and just glared at him like, Rrr. Yeah. After all, they had been trying to get him locked up for well over a decade by this point. And then he stated, quote, I don't want nothing to do with Zachary. That's right. But they want something to do with you, numbnuts. Yeah. Keep in mind, a court order to collect physical evidence is nothing like a warrant for someone's arrest. In order for the detectives to get the physical evidence they needed, a little bit of finesse on their part was needed. After all... They had to be able to get a swab into his mouth, the mouth of their suspect. That's right. They couldn't just hold him down. Why not? 
Well, you know. Like, for, for, for real. Yeah. I mean, they can get a court order to forcefully take it, you know, against their will. But this one wasn't one of them. Damn, girl, I ain't got no court order for that well, stuff. I just say, let me have him. Well, and that's what they did with um, oh, Ted Bundy, remember? They had to get a court order to forcefully take an impression of his teeth because he wouldn't give him one. Yep. Detective McDavid and Day detectives yeah. figured it, uh, it didn't matter who was able to procure the sample as long as someone did. Therefore, after Lee issued his statement about not wanting to deal with them, they didn't hesitate to take a step back from the situation. Yeah. That's when Mixon calmly patted Lee's shoulder and said, rather than do this in front of God and everybody, let's do it inside. Yeah. Lee agreed to comply with the request. So Mixon and two other men went, uh, men from the attorney general's office walked with Lee into the house while Day and McLovin, I mean McDavid, waited outside. A couple of minutes later, Mixon emerged from the house with uh, the evidence bag, which he had sent over to the crime lab at the state police right away. He's like, get this to them now, motherfucker. That's right. Stat. Stat. <laughs> that always scares me whenever I hear that in a hospital. Oh, no shit, yo. Especially when it's involving me. <laughs> or code blue. <laughs> I found out a code gray means somebody's being physical. Oh, yeah, you told me about yeah. that. Yeah, and code you, orange is hazardous material. I told you my code blue story, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with my brother's ex-girlfriend. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was great. Tell him I had a heart attack when I didn't. It scared the shit out of me. I, well, I should have had a heart attack. I was just saying that. I know, right? <laughs> Once the DNA sample was handed to the crime lab, McDavid, Day, and Mixon could only hurry up and wait. Mainly because there was already ba- uh, backup. They were already backed up with the thousands of samples they had already run for Baton Rouge. Yeah. In fact, the task force had uh, priority over processing in the crime lab at that time. Yeah. While they waited, they learned that the police department in St. Martin Parish had a call about a man who broke into a house of a local woman and attempted to rape her. He wasn't successful because the woman's son had returned home and the attacker ran off. They released a sketch of the suspect, an African-American male, to the media. When McDavid happened to see the composite in the newspaper, he felt it bore an uncanny resemblance to Derek Todd Lee. Yeah. With the news of another possible attack... He called the state crime lab and asked that they put a rush on that sample that Mixon sent to him. Finally, Sunday, May 25th, 2003. Yeah, 20 days later. That's ridiculous. The the results of the DNA comparison came back. They finally had scientific proof that Derek Todd Lee was the Baton Rouge serial killer. uh, That they were one and the same. Yeah. That this is their dude. Yeah. Even though their suspicions were confirmed with scientific evidence the Zachary investigators were still somewhat stunned by the news. In fact, Detective Ray Day said that he was in Mississippi. You like that? I mean, I, you it. know, I'm kind of shocked. Yeah. Attending a Harley-Davidson rally. Woo! Yeah. Harley-Davidson's. Budweiser. <laughs> when he received the confirmation, he stated, quote, it was overwhelming. Right? And then he went, born to be wild, right? Back. <laughs> exactly. With that, his little heart tattoo. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I heart being a detective. I, I heart mom. <laughs> <laughs> detective Lieutenant David McDavid uh, 
was at home mowing his yard when he received the confirmation call. He said as soon as he heard that, that it was a positive match, he shut down his lawnmower, jumped in his car, and headed straight to Baton Rouge Task Force office. Now yeah. that the task force was aware that Derek Todd Lee was a serial killer, they were looking for, that, that's who they were looking for, McDavid knew that they would uh, be making every effort to find the man and arrest him. McDavid just wanted to be able to help bring the man in. Yeah. I can imagine after all those years. Well, shit, yeah, they've been. Yeah. Old McLovin here has been on his trail for a better part of a decade. Yeah, since 1992. So. When McDavid walked through the front doors of the task force office, he was greeted by at least 50 people who had arrived before him. The first thing he noticed was that they were all singing a different tune. Yeah. Considering that just 10 months prior to that, they had basically kicked him out of their office when they told uh, when they told him that he was way off base with his investigation, he should just return to Zachary where he belongs. Yeah. Now. Now when, when they saw him enter. I yeah. saw that. Oh, okay. God damn it, woman. <laughs> I was going to say, because you, you did a wrong pause there, but okay. Margaret, where's my coffee? <laughs> now when they saw him enter, they went and shook his hands because they wanted to uh, personally thank him. If it weren't for the uh, work of, of the Zachary police detectives and Danny Mixon, the mixed man himself, they would have never been able to crack the case. In fact, one of the lead detectives on the task force stated, quote, we just want to congratulate you on solving the serial killer case. Yeah. Well, if you would have listened to them in the first place, you jackasses. No shit, yo. They could have solved this before at least two more murders happened. Well, it kind of goes along with what I always say. Everything is possible. Yeah. Okay, so take all the possibilities and limit it down by um, probabilities. Right. You know? Uh, but no, they didn't do that. They said, nope, got to be a white guy. Yeah. Because he wasn't fly for a white guy. Yeah. But when they look, went looking for Derek Todd Lee... They discovered that he had already bolted like a scared rabbit. Mm-hmm. They tracked his movements from Louisiana to Chicago, Illinois, then from Chicago to Atlanta, Georgia. Yep. Your yeah. neck of the woods. My neck of the woods. That was where the, uh, a team of U.S. Marshals finally caught up with him and arrested the Baton Rouge serial killer. Yeah. So far, and I'm still digging, I was able to find out uh, that after Lee was arrested... This is what happened. Derek Todd Lee has been convicted of two murders uh, in the uh, two murder cases so far. He was found guilty of second degree murder for the attack of Geraldine DeSoto, Geraldine DeSoto, and first degree murder death of Charlotte Murray Pace. Yeah, Lee was being housed at the Angola at Angola on death row awaiting execution when he was transferred to a local hospital for treatment. On January 21st of 2016, while at the hospital, Lee died from complications relating to heart disease. Yeah. That's a bummer. I really was hoping to get right? injection. A couple of months after the task force arrested Lee, Richard... Leob. Thank you. Then, Louisiana Attorney General called a press conference. He wanted the, uh, to publicly honor Danny Mixon with an award. Mixon was reluctant was a reluctant honoree, to say the least. He avoided answering any questions and did his best to stay out of the spotlight regarding this case. He basically just stated he was, quote, 
just another flat foot doing his job. And I respect that. Yeah, totally. He didn't. He yeah, didn't he wasn't it in fame. it for the accolades. He was in it to catch a killer. Right. He was there to do his job to the best of yeah. his ability. I, I totally respect that, mm-hmm. man. The crime lab of, uh, of the Louisiana State Police was finally able to compare the samples of Lee's DNA with the DNA found in the seminal fluid at Randy... Mebrush. Yeah, that, there you go. House. It took them until 2004, but they were able to determine that Lee's DNA was a perfect match. However, law enforcement officials have still not been able to locate her remains, a fact that still haunts Sergeant Ray Day. When Lee was arrested, the Zachary Police Department had a deluge. Deluge. Yeah, deluge of tips and leads pouring in about where Randy's body might be. In fact, Day and his team of and his team excav- excavated uh, yard the yard at the house Lee shared with his wife near St. Francisville. They even tore up several driveways of places where Lee was said to have stayed. And where some people saw him pouring concrete late at night. Mm-hmm. On a hunch, they drained the pond where Lee was said to have regularly gone fishing. However, despite all of their efforts, they were not successful in their endeavors. Ray Day is confident that Lee is responsible for the disappearance and likely the death of Randy. However, all he can ask is, quote, where is she? They also knows that the only person who can ever answer that question is Derek Todd Lee himself. And they stated, quote, I want to talk to him just for my own peace of mind. Now, he said that before he died. Yeah, before that he would died. Make the but most yeah. sense. Yeah. All right. Let's get to some McLovin theory. Good yeah. old David McDavid. Lieutenant, L- Lieutenant David McDavid has never claimed to be a professional psychologist. However, with his profession, he has learned a great deal about human nature, mostly the bad. Mm-hmm. Out of all of the investigators who were on the hunt for the serial killer, there was little doubt that he was the one who is the most familiar with Derek Todd Lee. It's because of his familiarities with the man and what has led him to this theory about Lee's motivations for the murder. Quote, he was a ladies' man. He tried to be slick, but once he got into the peeing, peeping, sorry, peeping. <laughs> I was say, what? Got that last minute. And the people, I think uh, he just got progressively worse. And I would agree. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I believe that the women he killed were women who turned him down. Oh, yeah. No, probably. Yeah. The ones, especially the ones that fought back, like Geraldine. Right, right. You know, it's like, how dare you fight me? What a piece so, of garbage. All right. Yeah. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out the website at www.TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, CrimeB.Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Just type in at, at BrutalNation, and we'll pop right up for you. This show's copyrighted 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved, and we will see you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.